Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to your New Testament, 1 Corinthians. We'll start at chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And many of you have asked about my, my old bad back, and it hurts, and I'm fine. I wasn't doing anything special. I just reached over to grab one of my goats, and the goat won, and I lost, and they laughed at me. The thing about goats is when you fall on the ground, they stand on you, and that's kind of a thing with goats. And um, so anyway, I was in pain. So kudos to Russ for filling in for me. I didn't call him until late Saturday night. I put off the decision as long as I could, thinking that if I drugged myself up, I would be able to walk and function, and I could not. So Russ stepped up for me, so I appreciate him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As always, we pray. We are facing the specter of a European war now. And who knows what's going to happen. So pray. Pray for cooler heads. Pray for calmed ambitions. Pray for wisdom on the part of leaders in every place. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you are. I'll close and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me please? Heavenly Father, again we come before you humbly recognizing our sin. We recognize, Father, your power and authority over us, your purity, your goodness, your generosity, your grace towards us. For all these things, Father, we thank you. We worship you. You are worthy as God, the one God, creator, giver of life, blessed one. Thank you. We come before you, Father, recognizing our flaws and sin. We ask for mercy and forgiveness and the cleansing that only you can give. We thank you for the offer of salvation we have in Jesus. For your indwelling spirit and your word which teaches us. We thank you for this life that we have. The freedoms and privileges and our wealth. Food and clothing. Thank you Father. Lord this morning we come before you knowing that many in our world struggle and suffer. We ask that you would work through the powers that be. For those that have power over our lives and power over the lives of others, we ask you would give them guidance and direction and wisdom. Help them, Father. Give them ambitions to work for the good of people, not for the expansion of powers, but for the good of those whom they serve. 
We pray that they would be given discretion and restraint, good counsel. We think of those in the European theater. We pray for peace there, Father. We pray for our own problems here, and we've got them. We have problems of racism, of course, problems of immigration and finances, and we seem to fight over everything. Help us. Give us a spirit of peace and peacemaking. We pray, Father, that you would raise up your people to be an influence for good. Work as only you can, Father. We trust you and you alone. It seems everybody else has lied to us. Help us to trust you. Lord, speak to us from your word, as you always do. Help us to listen. Help us to willingly submit our lives to your leadership. Use us to bring peace and justice. Use others who serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I often have conversations with people just because I'm the pastor and people talk to me about all kinds of crazy things. And one of these recurring conversations I have with almost everybody eventually is that, well, what am I supposed to do with my life, pastor? You know, people ask me that. Sometimes they know me and I know them and I know stuff about their lives. And sometimes they're total strangers that I've met on the street. Well, what does God want me to do? It's, it seemed like an open-ended question. It gives me some opportunities, but I'm always careful because I don't know what God wants everybody to do. I mean, I know that God wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to follow Jesus. He wants all people to live with grace and peace and those kinds of things. But it's hard to know on an individual level. God doesn't give me secrets. I, I have this thing about Pentecostal ministers. I love being around them, but they always bug me a little bit. And I have a good friend. He's a Pentecostal minister. And God's always telling him stuff. And God has never told me stuff like that. And they tell me all sorts of things that God told them to do. And one of my good friends, a Pentecostal minister, drives a really slick car. And I commented on his car when he said, yeah, well, God told me to buy that. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, before I ever saw it, God told me to buy this car with this motor and this transmission. And I knew we were kindred spirits because I have a thing about engines and transmissions and things. And I asked him how his wife responded. He goes, well... She doesn't always hear what God says, you know, and that kind of thing. So I always yearn for that voice, but I never get it. But when I try to answer the question, what does God want me to do? Our series of sermons, what does God want me to do? One of the things that I can say is, well, use what God has given you. The gifts and abilities and resources that God has given you. Use them. Don't do what you can't do. Instead, do what you can do. I had a conversation not too long ago with an individual, and uh, he's an older guy, and he's been around. He's just a great guy, good, solid Christian. And I talked to him about this, and it just came up in conversation. And he told me what he had done with his life, and he's nearing the end of his ministry. And he told me what he had done, and I said, well, how come you came today? He goes, well, really, it's all I can do. 
He goes, nothing else interests me, and I'm really not available in other ways, and I always feel awkward in those other positions. So he found this one thing he could do. He said, and then I just settled it, and that's what I would do. I thought, well, what a novel idea. Find out what you can do, and do it. What a great idea. So today we're going to talk about finding out what you can do, what God has gifted you to do, and then do it. Pretty simple. Actually, I could end the sermon now and you get the same point, but I'm not going to do that because you need to hear more. But God wants you to find out what you can do, what he has equipped you to do, and then do that. So we're going to talk about spiritual gifts today. Spiritual gifts are one of those things, and I used to have these quirky ideas that spiritual gifts were given by God to certain people for certain times, and you had to be a certain type of person to receive a spiritual gift. And I was so wrong. I've come upon this idea of God's sovereignty. I talk about that a lot, don't I? God's sovereignty means he's in control. And the thing about God is he can do whatever he wants. So today when we talk about spiritual gifts, just remember God can gift whomever he wants in whatever way he chooses. He doesn't have to follow any rules that we might have or any understandings. So when I talk about spiritual gifts today, I'm going to be talking about not only abilities that come as a result of your salvation experience, but sometimes they come into your life simply because God gave them to you. They may be similar to other people of religious flavors and they may have nothing to do with religion at all. Fact is I, I have come to realize over the years that God has the freedom and the desire to work in people's lives even if they don't go to church. It doesn't mean they're Christian. You still gotta follow Jesus to be saved but God can do whatever he wants in people's lives. And if he chooses to give John Doe a particular gift he can and he does. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, they're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to talk about some of those specifically, but also sometimes abilities and desires. In one of my churches, there was a young woman that grew up in the church, and she was away plying her trade, and she was a doc, a medical doctor. Her mama was in my church, and she said by the time she was two, she wanted to be a doctor. Two years old. Couldn't read, couldn't write, wasn't necessarily a child prodigy, nothing like that. But by the time she was two years old, she'd been to the doc a few times, and she could tell her mama, I'm going I'm to be a doctor when I grow up. And she said it was the oddest thing. The only thing she ever wanted for Christmas was doctor clothes and doctor toys. And when she got into school, at a very young age, she took classes that would help her become a doctor. And that's all she ever thought about all of her life. And she grew up and guess what she did? Well, she became a doctor. See, the only thing that ever interested her. Her mom said she really couldn't do much else. That was who she was. It wasn't just what she did. It was just who she was. I thought maybe that's an example of gifts from God. It took me a long time to figure out where God wanted me to go. I chased all sorts of stupid things. She had it when she was two. So when I talk about spiritual gifts, we're not talking about just religious things. Those things, yes. But sometimes capabilities and interests and things that drive you, things that you pursue, consider those as 
spiritual gifts. I know that's not the traditional interpretation, and that's okay. But I'm talking about gifts and abilities that God gives us. Understand that. Paul wrote this passage we're going to read about spiritual gifts, and it's a long section because he knew that that was a question in the church. In the early church, there were people who could do things. And they hadn't been able to do them until they became Christian. And then there were people in the church whose gifts and abilities that they had before they became Christian became particularly useful in the service of faith. And they began to question, well, how come people can do this and that and the other? How come I can't do this? And that's where it started causing problems. People who had certain gifts were seen as superior. People who couldn't do certain gifts were seen as inferior. And it began to cause problems in the church. And then the crazy thing is, people with the gifts would sometimes misuse them. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute. If it's a gift from God, you can't misuse it. Well, yes, you can, it turns out. Because he gives us a sense of freedom and autonomy. In other words, God gifts you abilities and interests and things and allows you to use them as you see fit. It's that whole free will thing. And Christians have to be taught how to use their gifts correctly. Because in the early church, people with legitimate gifts were not using them correctly. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I wish I could have time to talk about all the spiritual gifts and all the ways they work and all those kinds of things. But you would not be out by 1230 and you'd be hungry and all those kinds of things. So those are other sermons. But we're going to talk about some things today. We're going to start by understanding that God's grace is the source of your spiritual gift. God's grace is the source of gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll read verses 4 through 11. So follow along if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. The key verse there is verse 11. Look at that again. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. He, God the Father. People have spiritual gifts, because God gave it to them. Because God chose to give it to them. For whatever reason, God does whatever he wants. And, and isn't that a thing, that God does what he wants? He doesn't check with us and get permission. Remember, God can do that. So when God does things that you don't understand, do not assume that he made a mistake. Now the reason I say that is because, again, in the early church of Corinth, there was this thing going on. That certain people had certain gifts... And they were very flashy and very public. And they were all in demand. And people with those gifts 
were seen as superior. And people without those gifts were seen as inferior. And so you can imagine you have a classed church. You have people with certain gifts that are super spiritual and then the also-rans who got the other gifts. And they were important, yeah, 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 but these things are really important. And that's exactly what was going on. Why would it surprise us that the early Christians were just like us? Just like us without Facebook. That's all it is. Just as petty, just as shallow, just as misled as we can be sometimes by personalities and fame and all those kinds of things. And so... When God gives a gift, trust him. If he's given you an ability, that means he thought you could handle it. And he wanted you to handle it. When God didn't give you a certain gift, God has a reason. Not necessarily a negative thing towards you, but maybe somebody else needed it. Maybe there's something he needed from you in your circle of friends and things like that. So on screen are a couple of things. Go to that next frame, please. The gifts that someone has are neither earned nor deserved. You don't get certain gifts because you're more spiritual than other people, in other words. So, in the early church, when these people with a particular gift were seen as superior, that was an error in thinking. They interpreted the situation incorrectly. Well-meaning people do that. They don't think. They haven't been taught. So, what Paul is doing is teaching them to think like Christians. Not like normal people, but Christians. Remember, we are a peculiar people. Not necessarily oddballs, even though many Christians are oddballs. But Christians are to think differently. We're not supposed to be like everybody else in every way. We're different. We follow the risen Savior. We pattern our life after the risen Savior. We are to pattern our thinking after the teachings of the risen Savior. So one of the things that we have to learn is... People have spiritual gifts because, as in verse 11, just as he wills has nothing to do with whether or not you're more spiritual than others. So apply that to the old situation. If somebody in that church, and in that church, tongues and prophecies, things that you do in front of a crowd, those were gaining all the attention. And the understanding was that those people were better, that they were stronger Christians, etc., etc. And they deserved it. And you can see how the egos of those with particular gifts would eat that up. You know, some people are prone to that. And so there was a lot of puffing up and strutting around and all those kinds of things. And Paul had to say, stop. No. They have these gifts just as he wills. They didn't earn it. It came as a result of God's gift of grace. They weren't necessarily better Christians just because they had certain abilities and gifts. I, I told stories like this before, but I went to preacher school a long time ago. And I went to school with 400 preachers. And yes, it was as bad as it sounds. 400 strutting preachers carrying a Bible around, quoting verses at each other because we were all smarter than the other. And we were all going to be Billy Grahams and all those kinds of things. And it was hard for us to remember that we were normal and that we really weren't any better because when you focus on Bible studies and you learn things, you start thinking you're smarter than other people. And, you know, when we graduated, we all knew that we were going to be the next Billy Graham. And we didn't know that the world didn't need 600 more and all those kinds of things. And we just, we just assumed we were all going to be great and God needed us. And nothing, of course, was like that. 
And we had to realize as a group, and I, I speak for most of them, we learned the hard way that we really aren't any better than anybody else. The fact that a pastor has a particular set of gifts that put him up on stage or in the public eye surely doesn't mean he's better than anybody else. Nor does it mean he's even a better Christian. In fact, my observation, both from afar and up close is, in most churches, by far the most profound and deep thinking Christians are usually pretty quiet about it. Sometimes they're the teachers, but not usually. I've been impressed by people who really in terms of the congregation and publicity and who knows who and all that, they really weren't that much. I mean, they weren't well known sometimes. Sometimes they were known to be deep thinkers, but, uh, you know, sometimes they're just normal, very normal people. Very common people. And they were the ones who most demonstrated a Christ-like spirit. I think of one man, Hubert. You never met him. He's dead now. He didn't finish high school. I think he finished eighth grade. Probably one of the most profound Christians I ever met. You would have liked Hubert. Short, kind of squatty, bald. Worked in the woods all his life. Owned a lumber, yard, lumber mill. Hard working. Just the best guy. And he would surprise me in our Bible studies. We'd have a, Q and a question and answer time and those kinds of things. And the things that he would say would literally stop our discussions sometimes. While all the smart people go, wow, why didn't I say that? Well, I didn't say it because I didn't even think about it. But God was working in that guy. He had a completely different gift set. He never got on stage. I don't know that he ever spoke in public except to say an occasional prayer. But still one of those truly gifted individuals. Who knew? Paul knew. Just as he wills. You're not better because you have a certain set of gifts. You're not less because you do not have a certain set of gifts. Verse 11, as he wills. So God gifts as he wills. So we need to understand that. Neither earned nor deserved. And the other one is, the gifts that you do have come from the work of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, I got into a heated discussion with one of my sisters in Christ. And by heated discussion, I mean she jumped on me after church and wanted to beat me with her family Bible because I said something wrong. And I said the crazy notion that God can do whatever he wants. And I said, God can work in the lives of non-Christians. And she said, no, he can't. I said, seriously? She said, yes. And she quoted me a bunch of scriptures. And I finally said, Deborah, are you sure you want to say this? That God can't work in the life of non-Christians? And she stopped and she, you could see the eyes, <laughs> the light clicked on. She goes, I don't know. <laughs> and I didn't win the argument. But, but you know, sometimes we have these rules and they're oftentimes wrong. God can do whatever he wants. Verse 11, just as he wills. Sovereign God can gift anybody anything. Now, does the Holy Spirit work in Christians' life? Of course he does. And we're saved, right? Can the Holy Spirit work in the lives of non-Christians? He's God. Can he do whatever he chooses? If he chooses to gift a non-Christian with a certain gift for a certain task, 
If he wants to do that, there's that pesky verse, just as he wills, he can do that. That doesn't mean they're saved. It means God's continued working on them, wooing them. But sometimes God rises up anybody who's there because he needs them to do a task. Now he could snap his fingers, God could, and just make it happen. But that's not typically the way God works. God uses people with gifts. And that's the importance of gifts. That's why for three or four chapters here in Scripture, Paul talks about the importance of spiritual gifts because they are essential to the workings of the church. The Holy Spirit works in the life of people. Christians primarily, but other people too. So when you see someone with a gift or an intense desire, understand that probably the Holy Spirit's working there. In the life of Christians, to be sure. But in the life of my friend, the little girl who, at age two, wanted to become a doctor. I don't have any problem with recognizing that she was called and gifted for that. Before she was Christian, she had that burning desire. Be a doctor. Who am I to argue with that? Doesn't fit the rules. Sure didn't fit what I was taught in theology class. But God does what God wants. Again, verse 11, as he wills. One of the other things that the early church had to learn is that not only are you not better or worse or lesser or greater than because of your gift set, you've got to be careful how you use your gift set. You can use your gift set in a way that God cannot use you. You can use your gift set, the gifts that God has given you, in a way that is offensive to God and repels people from the gospel. And he says, there's a better way. So follow along with me in chapter 12, beginning at verse 13, or 31, excuse me. Chapter 12, verse 31. And then we'll go to 30, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. So chapter 12, verse 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts... And I show you a still more excellent way. So interesting here. Talks about spiritual gifts. I show you a more excellent way. Huh. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not unprovoked. Unprovoked does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Verse 13. But now faith, abide, faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, you've heard this chapter. It's called the love chapter, right? For all the obvious reasons, it defines what Christian love is. In other words, if when you are teaching a child how to love, 
you teach them when you love people, you be nice to them. You don't hit them. I hear my daughters say that to my granddaughters. When you like people, you don't hit them. But why? They need it. You know, and they say things like that. <laughs> one time I told my daughter, Holly, she was the one with the mouth. I said, Holly, the fact that you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. But they need to hear it, Daddy. And no, they don't. You have to learn sometimes how to act and how to express love. The fact that you have emotions and feelings doesn't mean you express it correctly. You know, I know men, and you know men, who seriously love their wives, and they beat them anyway. Now, and, and they do love them in their own way, and they haven't learned how to correctly love. Women the same way. There are women who love their babies and yet do crazy things to their children that are terrible. And in their own way, they're loving, but it's wrong, isn't it? It's evil sometimes. The fact that you have emotions doesn't mean you're going to do the right thing. So again, according to Scripture, God teaches us. So in this section, we're taught how to love. Now typically, you hear this passage read in weddings and sometimes in funerals. And it's always a good thing about how God loves us. And these characteristics of love are the ways God loves us. And these are the ways that we are to love others. It's all good stuff. Husbands, wives, read this chapter. Moms, dads, grandparents, kids. Good stuff. But isn't it interesting here that Paul wrote this chapter in the middle of a long section on spiritual gifts. Remember, we've learned that Paul wrote his letters in response to the situation. So what we think is going on is this. Christians exercising their gifts, and they were beating people up with gifts of the Spirit. Literally. And they were assuming power and control over other people because of their gifts. And they were using their notoriety with certain gifts as a way to gain money and sexual favors and all those other things. In other words, they were being human beings. And this is why Paul says in chapter 12, verse 31, I show you a more excellent way. In other words, they were so focused on the idea of gifts and the hows and whys and wherefores of gifts that they forgot the point. The point of all those gifts were to bring people to Jesus and to nurture those relationships in Jesus. And the more excellent way was to treat people like you love them. It's amazing, isn't it? Paul made this complex issue of spiritual gifts, which is confusing, and he made it very simple. The test for spiritual gifts was, were you using the gift in a way that helped people? The test was, did you express love for others according to biblical teachings? Not according to how you felt, but according to biblical teaching. Because remember, there are two different things. How you feel about someone or a situation may challenge biblical teaching. The Christian will learn to submit to biblical teaching. So on screen are some things we can learn about how to express love in the practice of our faith. A more excellent way. How you love people is more excellent than what you can do. It doesn't mean what you do doesn't matter. 
But what you do has to be validated by whether or not you treat people with love and grace. In this passage we read, if I do this and this and this, but I have not love, I'm love, I'm nothing, or I'm a clanging symbol. In other words, people didn't get it. And so Paul's saying, listen, I don't care what you can do. I don't care if you can speak in tongues. I don't care if you can perform miracles. I don't care if you can do all these crazy things. If you don't do that with the Spirit of Christ, you're just making noise. So a more excellent way is to follow biblical teachings on how to love people of his kind, of his gracious, doesn't hold grudges, it isn't easily offended, it's patient. These are the general ways you are to relate to people as you exercise your gifts. Rather than beating people up with your gifts, or beating people down with your gifts, or making yourself out to be better than others, or maybe making yourself out to be worse than others. Love people. Personal context is really important. God really does care about how you act. Now yes, he wants you to study the Bible. He wants you to follow the do's and don'ts of faith. Those are all legitimate and valid. But he wants you to love other people too. And it's not an either or. You know, some people choose to be Bible students and be jerks to everybody they encounter. And I went to college with a lot of those guys. And, and some of them are pastors. And you know those guys. You know, there are preachers out there that they can quote the scriptures up and down. And they're good teachers. And they're just jerks to be around. Right? And then there are other people that they're just as nice as they can be. And it, it would never occur to them to open their Bible. And both of those extremes are what we see sometimes. What God wants us to do is be those people who are Bible-oriented. Submissive to biblical teaching. But also gracious and kind. Those are the ones God can use most effectively. Amazingly, God can use everybody, even the jerks. But he really wants us to follow biblical teaching here. Personal conduct, personal discipline, and all those kinds of things are important. And love and relationships, this is just what it says. No matter what your gifts, use them in a way that it can honor and serve God. Love people. Be gracious and kind. And understand the reality of the situation. Tim and I were talking last night, so I told her this test. She asked me what the sermon was about. And I try not to glaze her eyes over it too much and all this. So I asked her this question. I said, okay, let's imagine you and I go out to eat. And we go to this really nice restaurant. And we're all dressed up and we're clean. And we get there and it's been quite a drive. When we, and we walk in and all of a sudden... Uh, you're sitting there and you order the food and you're thinking about the things that are important. I said, what is most important to you when you order? She goes, well, the cook, right? Because when you go out to eat, the food is the issue. I said, okay. After you order, you realize you forgot to go to the bathroom two hours ago. And you go into the bathroom and the bathroom is flooded and you can't go to the bathroom. Now, what is the most important thing in the restaurant? She goes, well, the plumber, right? What the cook could do didn't mean anything because the situation had changed. It's the same thing for us. We have to remember 
that what we see in this situation is most important isn't necessarily the universal truth. The most important gift in this situation might not be the most important gift in all situations. In fact, I had one friend who was a, a gifted preacher, good guy. He was an evangelist, just a good guy. He could barely open the door in real life. And I say that with all respect because he was just the best guy. He was a loving, gracious Bible teacher, good guy. And he joked and his wife joked that he had to be a preacher because he just couldn't do it any other way. He couldn't make a living any, in any other way. And he really couldn't. He couldn't do anything. But he was a really good preacher. His gifts were very specific and very limited. But God used him in a great way. Never think that one gift is better than the others. That's not what the Bible teaches. What you think may be wrong. How you feel doesn't change biblical teaching. So when God says, I want you to do what you can, find out your gift and use it. On screen is just a simple idea. Use what I've given you. Give and serve using whatever gifts you have. Find your gift. Develop and practice that gift. And whenever and wherever you serve... Do it in the most excellent way, the way of love. So that's your task. Find out what you can do. What do you like to do? What do you want to do? What can you do? If you can't think of any driving thing, maybe for you, you have the gift of just general service. You're just supposed to go to the preacher and say, Preacher, I want to do something. Tell me what to do. I've got a long list of stuff that needs to be done. None of it's fun and nobody wants to do it. That's why it's not done. But it needs to be done in ministry. I realized years ago that one of my job as pastor is to help people serve, give them opportunities, and use ways, to develop ways to use people and let them work. And that's a good thing. On screen is the final idea. This is what Jesus thinks about all this business. Read this with me if you would. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So before Jesus ever talked about spiritual gifts, he was teaching people how to love. He was talking to his disciples, preachers. They were all worried about could they quote scripture and really put it to people and give them the good hard gospel. And Jesus said, listen, when you go about your business, make sure people know that you love them. It's one thing to spout off and be religious. Nothing wrong with that. But you've got to do so in a way that communicates love and grace. And when you do that, that is the more excellent way. And that's the life that God is calling us to do. To love others and to find out what we can do and do it with grace. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. So the challenge for you is to find out what God wants you to do. To find out what he's gifted you to do. It may be something that burns in your belly. It may be something very simple. It just needs to be done. He calls you just as he wills. He challenges you to follow Jesus in everything. Because that's the life you want to live. Nick?
George is going to love. Come and lead us in a closing prayer. George. Thank you. Pray with me. As we depart, we ask that you go with us, that you remind us of the gifts and blessings you have given us, and that you teach us and guide us to share. In Jesus' name, amen.